Hey everyone, welcome to The Down There, a monthly podcast where we have candid conversations about all types of bodies in order to destigmatize talking about what we keep down there. I'm your host, Caitlin, and today we're talking with Jen and Valerie about their fertility journeys. Jen is currently going through the process of IVF, or in vitro fertilization, in hopes of conceiving, and Valerie has successfully conceived with IVF and now has a very adorable seven-month-old baby. But wow, y'all, it was a long road to get there. There are a number of ways to aid in conception, from methods like charting ovulation, checking basal cell temperature and cervical fluid, to the more scientific methods of assistive reproductive technologies, like IUI and IVF, which is what we're talking about here today. For folks who don't know, IUI, or intrauterine insemination, is when sperm is placed directly into the uterus. The hoped-for outcome is for the sperm to swim into the fallopian tube and fertilize a waiting egg, resulting in pregnancy. Depending on the reasons for infertility, IUI can be coordinated with your normal cycle or with fertility medications. There's even a version you can do at home. IVF, or in vitro fertilization, is a series of procedures to help with fertility, prevent genetic issues, and assist with conception. During IVF, a mature egg or eggs are collected from ovaries and fertilized by sperm in a lab. Then the fertilized egg or embryo is transferred to a uterus. One full cycle of IVF takes about three weeks. Sometimes these steps are split up into different parts and the process can take longer. IVF is currently the most effective form of assisted reproductive technology. Those definitions are sourced from the Mayo Clinic and you can find a link in our show notes for more information. Infertility is something many people struggle with, but rarely talk about in public, or even amongst our nearest and dearest. There's so many contributing factors, many of them are quite mysterious and sometimes galling. We're going to address fertility issues on this podcast in a number of different ways and from different perspectives, and we're excited to bring you those stories. There's just so much to unpack here, and I want to jump into the conversation right away, but first, I have two things to say. Number one. You'll hear me address my own fertility in this episode, but not to any satisfying conclusion, unfortunately. What I know is that my womb and eggs are about as healthy as one could ask of a 36-year-old with stage 4 endometriosis. What I don't know is exactly what I want to do about it, and how far I'm willing to go. If you're on the fence about having children, want them, or don't, it's okay. Your decisions and feelings are valid. And when I do have the words, I will share that journey with you right here. Number two, I and the rest of the Down There team want to encourage you to vote and to get everyone you can to join you because every vote in every state matters. From the local school board election to the presidency, get to know your candidates up and down the ballot and vote for representatives that align with your values. There is no action too small and everyone, everyone has something to contribute. We have actionable resources for you in this episode's show notes on our Instagram, and on our website, thedowntherepodcast.com, which we will keep on updating through the election. If doing this work has taught us anything, it's that your voice is powerful. In the words of the late, great Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, speak your mind, even if your voice shakes. May her memory be a revolution. We'll be right back with Valerie and Jen. Hey, Jen. Hey, Valerie. Welcome to The Down There. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Why don't we start with your names, pronouns, something about yourself that you want to share and where you are on your IVF journey. My name is Valerie Therese Bart. She, her. I am uh, calling from Yonkers, New York. And uh, something I want to share about myself it's it's so interesting in this pandemic because it's like sometimes I forget that we're in a pandemic and that we're just I'm just in this like long weird pause. It's it's interesting to just like really focus inwardly nowadays and like who am I? What am I? What am I doing? And as far as where I am in my IVF journey, um, we were successful in our IVF journey of five years and um, have a seven month old. Happy and Yay. healthy and Yay. amazing. He's he's our he's our pandemic baby, and I guess that that is, I guess that is um, what uh, you know most of my time is focused on. Besides focusing inwardly, is also focusing on him and raising him. 
Yeah. Keeping him safe. And he came right before the lockdown in New York, right? Yeah, right before. He was born February 8th, and the lockdown happened exactly a month after. We were already in quarantine mode, you know, as you do as, as a new parent. And so we were doing it before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's inspiring and it gives me hope. Uh, (laughs) um, So I'm, I'm Jen Shu, she, her. I'm also a fellow artist. Let's see. I, so even today, so where I am today in the journey, um, I'm, I'm waiting for the period to maybe arrive or not arrive. Uh, So this last, we just did a timed pregnancy, as they say, like, two ultrasounds and then HCG trigger shot. Uh, But leading up to it, um, kind of four cycles, one was an egg freezing cycle and then three embryo freezing attempts, which all failed. Uh, And so that started July 2019 up to now. But yeah, so right now we're taking a break from IVF and, and the time pregnancy was like, oh, I could have just done that two ultrasounds in, an, <laughs> in one shot and maybe have a <laughs> chance. So, so we'll see. We're going to try this until winter and then see if we want to do another or if we can afford it and if it's feasible. And so oh, that's, that's the reality, isn't it? The money, yeah. the money situation and the insurance coverage. It's like the thing that, you know is like feels really unfair <laughs> and yes. adds insult to injury. Yeah. You know, you have that that desire, right? This great big desire that is like indescribable and the insurance companies are telling you you can't and uh medical facilities are like so out of reach. Yeah. So. Medicaid does cover theoretically fertility infertility treatment, fertility treatment, but a place like Vile Cornell, which is where I'm currently doing my cycles, they are, they're such, you know, their standards are so high and they do not accept Medicaid rates. My doctor, he'll, he'll help me out as much as he can, like discounts that as, as much as is allowed. But it's, yeah, just to like that single charge of on your credit card, <laughs> like what? <laughs> there goes like a lot of grant money and gigs you know like it's just like oh there it goes it's like the dagger Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) the extra Mm -hmm. dagger yeah so yeah it is and it's that impossible choice right of Mm -hmm. of um of you know what do you choose to spend everything that you've saved up for Mm -hmm. and it's funny after my first retrieval uh in the little dressing room there was a woman who came in who was going to go right after me and and this was at RMA, back RMA New York, where I did my first two cycles. And and she said, how was it? I'm like, uh, I think it was okay. And I was still kind of woozy from the, it's not anesthesia, is it? It is anesthesia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and she said she, it was like her 11th retrieval. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but then like I got up to four and I'm like, Oh, I see how it can keep going and going and going. I can't believe that you actually, after your retrieval, went on to do some event afterwards. I, I, I think I remember reading that post about how you were like, you know, fingers crossed, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Have to do this thing afterwards because I was, the day of my retrieval, the same day was a, as an opening night of a show I had been working on in New Jersey. And I was like, yeah, you know, it was scheduled at 11. And I was like, yeah, I'll totally go. There's plenty of time. And then I can go to opening night, you know, and celebrate. And I, you know, they put me under and um, I had actually originally requested local anesthesia because I, I'm, I'm the person, I, I don't like extra medication if I don't need it. And if there's the option, then I'm like, I'm going to do a local anesthesia, you know, whatever, no big deal. I have a I believe I have a high threshold for pain, <laughs> but as as the weeks you know came on and the days came closer to the day of the retrieval, the doctor was like, um, "I suggest you do full anesthesia because we're counting twenty plus eggs that we're going to have to retrieve." Oh my gosh! And you know we're sticking the needle in there each time, so we're sticking the needle in you to retrieve these eggs twenty plus times. 
So you're going to be feeling each of these pricks 20 plus times. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe we should. And I was not expecting that many eggs. That's um, amazing. You're not green with envy. I, I, was, <laughs> I was like 20. <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. And oh, wow. it was really interesting to feel them as well as they were growing inside me. It, it felt like I was like holding these like, I could, like it almost felt like bells inside of my ovaries. Oh, they were just like jiggling as I was walking. I would feel them. And uh, so then they did the retrieval and I came out of the anesthesia and just felt like I had had surgery, like just like that I had been like cut open and sewn back together. And I was like totally woozy and out of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to opening night. That's not happening. So I went home and just like laid down and was like sleeping. And then at one point, you know, my husband was upstairs and I and I was like laying on the couch after a long nap. And I, you know, I woke up and I got up and I stood up <gasps> and like everything went black. And then when I opened my eyes, I was like on the floor in my living room. And my husband came down the stairs and he's like, what was that? Like he heard, he heard me falling. And like, and I remember like, there was like the furniture had been knocked over and my ear was like burning from like having like fallen on it essentially. So I completely blacked out and I was like, what was that? About? Oh my God. Um, and yeah. And it turned, it turns, it's like that hormonal shift, you know, cause it was like, I had been pumped with so much that as soon as everything was taken out of me, right. It was just like wow. shock to my system. And it's and and it's like it's called visa vago. It's like it's it's a specific um, term. I think it's visa vago is the term. But but a friend of mine told me that that happens when when there are hormonal shifts and like uh, you know there's something about your blood pressure, and it makes you black out or pass out. It can also happen when uh, when you conceive too. I've heard. Valerie, can I ask you a question about the retrieval? When you say that they put the needle in. Mm-hmm. Are they, are they like sucking them up from the outside of your belly? Yeah, they, they, it goes, it goes through your, yeah, it's not through the belly. It's like through, you know, up the your cervix, the, up the, yeah. into the ovaries. Your, yeah, up your vagina, into the uterus, and yeah. then into the ovaries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a long needle. I've seen mm-hmm. pictures of it. I've never seen it in real life because... I'm always passed out by then. <laughs> yeah, I would want to be passed out by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it was always local because it's like they get two eggs out. That was the right. most. I was always, you know, I remember I actually put the, the, that scene in my solo show I was telling you about, Zero Grasses. I put that scene where the lights come on. It's at the, toward the very end of the show. The lights come on. I'm in this gown, um, hospital gown. And I'm like, is it over? Because that's how I woke up in the waking up room or what the recovery room and my partner was sitting right next to me I'm like is it over and then and I remember asking the nurse like how many eggs did we get and she's like two I'm like oh I was hoping for a magical third and that's exactly what I said and we just kept it in the show uh (laughs) and then in the show I explained you know sadly one of the eggs was degenerated already by the time they took it out so we got we froze one egg you know, yes, only one, but at least it's not zero, and the show's called Zero Grasses. Yeah, so I had no idea. Yeah, you had to go, of course, you have to go under if it's 20. Jeez. And, and I, 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 realize, I realize what, um, you know, saying that, is, like, what a privilege that is. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's incredible. Whatever luck, whatever fortune I have, um, that it that it is uh, a privilege in comparison to yeah so. how because how old were you on that particular retrieval 40 what wow. whoa well <laughs> that's incredible were the, doc- <laughs> were the doctors like this is unusual at for you know at age 40 where, where, did they say anything like that or i mean my, i i know that in testing you know in in you know the weeks leading up and right you know, starting the whole process, like my numbers looked good. Like my AMH and 
so they, you know, they were already hopeful going into it. And then as, as my body was responding to the hormones and the, the drug cocktail that I was on, mm. you know, and as, and every time I would go in for an ultrasound, you know, they'd go in and sort of, they'd look at your ovaries to see how the follicles are growing and they'd be counting and they'd be measuring them. And, you know, and it would be like, there's one here and then there was one here and then let's go in the other and there's one here. And, you know, and it was just like they were counting Amazing. and they would, they would give me the count every single time and it like kept growing and it kept growing and it kept growing. I was like, is this normal? Normal? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everyone was, you know, not like baffled. Like I was like this like weird, you know, medical case, but, um, you know, it was a good thing. It certainly gave room for uh you know for something great to hopefully happen amazing and you still have them yeah so yeah. out of the 28 uh 14 uh, uh were able um were viable right uh and then of the 14 we took eight to have uh, genetically tested and send away to a lab in California to, you know, make sure that they are yep. viable, mm -hmm. right? And these um, are embryos now? And these were embryos, I, sorry, I forgot to mention that they were, they were fertilized right away. Got it. Okay. So 14 were successfully fertilized. Yes. Out of the 28. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. And then of the eight, then uh, samples of the eight were sent over to a lab in California. And that took about a couple of weeks or so for it to come back. And out of the eight, six came back as genetically viable. Wow. Um, and, you know, and this genetic test is something that is like an a additional cost. You know, that, raise, that raises the chances to 60% of having a successful transfer as opposed to like going in blindly and having a 30% chance. So I'm, you know, we're definitely glad that we, we we did that and had the funds and were able to to spend that extra money to have that extra reassurance because fertility is all about um, statistics, right? It's all about like the majority and the numbers and and all that stuff because there's so much uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, so you want to have those numbers on your side. Out of the eight, came six came back. Um, so we have six. We transferred one, which didn't happen and failed. And then we transferred a second one, which took. That's amazing. So I think I have... You have four more? So I have four that more right? that are genetically viable. And then I think I have eight that are not genetically tested, but are they're on the back burner. They're, we pay $100 a month, you know. Rent, rent. <laughs> 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 New York, rent. New York City rent for our <laughs> lovely embryos. Um, yeah, they've been stored um, at the fertility clinic. Yeah, and it's is. Are you thinking of doing another? We are actually. Yeah, um, you know, when when I got pregnant, we we talked and we sort of realized that we didn't really want our child to be an only child because we grew up with siblings. Right. There's that relationship that you develop with siblings that is something that just happens so naturally that you can't really teach um, that I think is so important. Um, you know, my, my husband had seven brothers and <gasps> sisters. Oh, wow. oh my God. I had two. Amazing. Um, so, you know, he comes from a very large family. Uh, I come from not such a large family, but I, kn I know that, you know, having my sisters definitely had an impact on my life. It, it, it has made me who I am today. So, so we wanted to, to be able to give that to our child. And, um, and having, having, again, the privilege of this option of, of, with these embryos. And, you know, it would just be the transfer, which is the quote-unquote easy part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Of, um, of everything you've been through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as opposed to the egg retrieval, which is like the roughest part. Uh, the only thing that, you know, we, uh, I didn't think about was the process of going from, you know, being pregnant and postpartum right into uh, fertility treatments again, you know, mm. and, and realizing that my body has actually gone through quite a massive shift, that it actually also needs time to heal and, you know, we didn't, I didn't really think about that. And again, the hormones 
uh, the hormones that it takes to go back to like normal as well. Um, because I was breastfeeding, uh, my baby for, um, and we just weaned about a month ago because I found out that in order to start fertility treatment, I would have had to be, uh, to have not breastfed for six months. So tack on six months to when you finish breastfeeding in order for your hormones to just and your cycle to just go back to normal and to readjust, et cetera. And I didn't realize that time frame and, you know, and I'm not getting any younger. And, um, you know, so I wanted to be able to start as soon as possible. So I, um, you know, I, I, I breastfed and I pumped as much as I could. So my baby has like a, a reserve of frozen breast milk. And, uh, and yeah, so now we were, it's been about a month. So as I said, maybe three months might be able to start depending on where your body and your levels and your hormones are at. Yeah. And the case of my friend who (laughs) got knocked up by her husband, (laughs) like while kind of while she was still, you know, still, it was really unexpected. She didn't stop intentionally mm-hmm. it might have been like a day that she took a break but <laughs> wow i just got uh, right in there yeah wow. <laughs> she was like really she like saw her yeah the pregnancy test and she's like really <laughs> really that's, a, that's amazing it's and you, amazing yeah and you get and that's the thing about fertility is that it's so individual every person every case is going to be different and people are going to respond differently to certain treatments and that's that's the thing it's it's so anecdotal it's so anecdotal and you know and you get so much advice of people of like well you know go on vacation and mm-hmm. relax and you know we took this herbal supplement and it totally worked exactly and we tried yep. acupuncture and all of these things and then we ate this certain thing and you know it, it can be really overwhelming mm. and it can make you feel that you're not doing enough mm-hmm. and then you start feeling that guilt and that shame mm-hmm. and uh yeah I, I remember when when things were like not working for us at all and I was just reading up on like you know these like toxins that you're breathing and all these cleaning products and like the plastics and all of these things that you're you're consuming and 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 I started getting so like I almost like had a panic attack and I mean I don't get panic attacks but it was just kind of like you just kind of like get so worked up and I just kind of like cried Mm, wow just sheer exhaustion of Mm. just like realizing that it's like yeah yeah, exactly obsessing Mm -hmm. that it's like this is something I'm doing this to myself there's something I'm not doing Mm. that is like working against me and um and it's um it's hard it's rough and, you know, I remember, and, you know, looking around and seeing everyone else getting pregnant. Right. Mm. Yeah. And being like, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's especially hard because as you were mentioning, like, it, it seemed like everything checked out for you, right? Yeah. Like the lining was good. You had plenty of, you know, mm-hmm. reserve was high. was good. The sperm, his, his sperm, the sperm was, was good. good. <laughs> so. Yeah. Everything was like was like we, we ticked off all the mm-hmm. boxes and that's what drove me absolutely insane was that I'm a very results oriented person I believe that if you do a plus b really well it should equal c but for some reason it was not happening for us no matter what we were trying you know after you know five rounds of artificial inseminations um didn't work. Um, and then the first round of, of IVF didn't work. Um, yeah, just could not understand what, um, you know, why nature wasn't working out for us. And we needed the help of science to get us there. Yeah. And for, it's funny, because for, for me, the, right away, they saw from my blood test and everything, oh, your reserve is really low. You know, your AMH levels are really low. Mm. Your chance of getting pregnant naturally is like 3%. You know? <laughs> I really, the, I, oh, the numbers are so depressing. Yeah, they're so, and I, I'm like, well, okay, let's look at what are the demographics like, are you including Asian women? Are you including women who are like healthy and athletic? Are you including, like, 
Mm-hmm. Who's who's the demographic here? And they say, so in a way, it's like, oh, from my age, I'm 42 now, you know, and then the reserve is low. Uh, the lining is now good. Before I had a fibroid and two polyps that they took out just in May. So that should be no problem. Sperm is great. <laughs> my partner is no problem. And, uh, you know, and as my doctor said, your your eggs might be chronologically older than you, you know? <laughs> Mine are. It was weird. Wow. How yeah. do they find that out? I don't He's theorizing. I mean, is, oh, did, they're theorizing. I don't know. Did they really, mm. like, did they really give you a finding, yeah. Caitlin? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I went to RMA too, and we have mm-hmm. had, we have, I know that you and I have had the mm-hmm. same doctor there. Mm-hmm. Like Valerie, the numbers checked out. He said that my eggs, so I'm 36 now. I was 35 at the time. He says mine are like 38 or 39. I'm thinking like, what? Do, huh. How do you know? <laughs> like, yeah. How? It, did somebody stamp them? Like, was there an expiration date that I didn't see? It's like grade A. Yeah. Cage like, free. Yeah. Cage free. <laughs> God. Like, how do you know these things? So mysterious. Oh, man. That's interesting. And that's the thing. It's like, it's so mysterious. It's so even mysterious. to the doctors themselves. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there, yeah. there really is, there really is a line and this is what is crazy to me is that it's crazy and also amazing right Mm. that that science can only take you so far you know and the realization that when I and it wasn't until the day that I transferred the first time that you know I asked the question of like well what happens now you know once once you stick this embryo inside of me like what happens now like am I pregnant you know and they're like well the embryo just kind of floats around and finds their way and hopefully it will attach. And I'm just like, hopefully. Like, what do you mean? Like, you haven't, you didn't just, uh, right. put, like, stick it there? Like, um, and they're like, no, we just, this is, this is as far as IVF goes. Wow. That is as far as IVF goes. They, they get it all the way up to embryo and viable and genetically tested and everything. And then they send it out into this big unknown of your uterus and and hopefully it finds its way and if it doesn't attach then then that's when it fails which is like crazy to me that there's like that clear line right yeah it's like where nature has to take its course right it makes me wonder like what if they just put put it really close to the wall <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> give it a better just chance strap it in <laughs> strap it in <laughs> Uh, and I, it's funny. I talked to my, so I'm, I'm doing acupuncture at a, a place, Yanova called Yanova, which was highly recommended to me by friends. Um, that, you know, just in terms of relaxation and, mm-hmm. and they kind of specialize in fertility treatment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it feels great. I, I'll, at this point I'll do anything <laughs> in a way that's, that's been recommended. Um, and and I was asking her about that process, and she's like, well, you know, every doctor, every clinic is different. You know, sometimes it's really based on the individual. If they have a, she used a technical term, but something anterior, anterior something, the shape of her cervix or the shape mm. or the position, that that, yeah. that will determine where they put it. There might be some other techniques I, you know, speaking of shape, I like definitely in this whole process, I definitely found out that the shape of my uterus is like, there's like a weird shape to it. Wow. Because when I, when I was doing artificial insemination, you know, they basically, it's like they stick a very long, you know, sort of tube, catheter-like tube way up your uterus to try to get it as far up as possible to, to inject the sperm. And, um they would always have a hard time getting this thin tube up there. Um, and it would be kind of painful because they're just poking you. Well, one thing I, I definitely wanted to mention, because no one had told me until my doctor told me, was the overcooking yeah. of your egg, which it's like, what? Because <laughs> after, you know, we're like, yeah, we're just going to take a break from IVF and go naturally, you know. He's like, well, you know, at your age your body's very likely to not ovulate in time. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, 
So your your egg may be ready to ovulate, but your body will hold on to it. Mm. And so we will need to, you know, do an ultrasound, measure it, make sure it's at least 18 millimeters. And when it is, then we inject the trigger shot, HCG, so that it's forced to come out. And then you can, you know, have intercourse that night, the night after the night after that. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. Well, it just not, it just isn't going to ovulate naturally. He's like, no, your age, it's very likely that it'll overcook. And the way he said it is always, it'll overcook. So interesting. So, I, I know. I, I had never thought of that. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think back to like hormones again, because it's hormones is what triggers. Yeah. Yeah. Ovulation. I mean, it triggers a bunch of things, but I wonder if as we age and, and that makes sense because we're, also pre-menopausal. Exactly. We're going into mm-hmm. all that stuff. That's another, mm-hmm. that's another, that's going to be another fun podcast. Yeah. It will be. It will be. <laughs> because nobody talks about menopause either. Yeah, it's true. It's funny when I was telling mom that I was going through all this, um, you know, I just met my current partner. Not let me wait. We met end of 2018, you know, and that's after being with someone for 12 years, you know, who I was pretty certain I was going to get married to and have kids and, um, didn't, didn't happen. Uh, cause he realized he wasn't, he realized he didn't want to have kids kind of at that last minute when it was like my, you know, and I, I kind of figured it out too. It's like, wait a second. I really do want this after being, um, so focused on career and ambitious and all that. I'm still ambitious, but I realized that, wait a second, I do, I do really want this. And, um, so yeah, that was kind of the deal breaker. So I met this new partner and, and I was telling mom about like, yeah, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna freeze eggs. She's like, what, what is that? And <laughs> she had no idea what it was. Like, Ivy, what is that? And she said, you know, back in, we just, had you, you know, we just had you, <laughs> we just had you and your brother. And she was even like, are you sure you're ready? I'm like, mom, I'm 40, you know, hello. Oh, that is such a mom thing to say. <laughs> She's like, but what about your career? You're an art. I'm like, mom, <laughs> which is, which is so funny. Cause in, before my, so my dad passed last year, which is kind of, I think a in some weird mystical way, I think it it sped along this process and realization. And, but before that dad was like, you, you know, he was telling me for years when I wasn't getting married and I wasn't planning to have kids. He's like, Jen, you have your whole life for your career. You're going to do that till you die. You know, you love it. And it's, it's going to be part of your life forever. But to have kids is like one small time period that it's, really possible you know so just think about that and you always you know that was the pressure and then eventually they kind of gave up because <laughs> we would have arguments every time that that whole point of like what women have the choices that women have to face mm-hmm. is oh it's um you know and I never really I never really thought about like this was my path this is what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and then I'm going to I wasn't even sure if I wanted to have kids mm-hmm. right like I just Me too. Mm-hmm. I was you know you're focused on as an artist you're focused on yourself and your career and making your art and being yeah. fulfilled and you know it sounds really selfish but you know it's I don't think it is no. um no, because it's not. so important it's so important yeah. to like you know be in touch with yourself before you can even think about being with another person and when I got married with my husband it was we never really talked it wasn't the reason why we got married was Mm -hmm. to have kids it Mm -hmm. never was Mm -hmm. and we definitely weren't ready we were actually really young when we got married which is like crazy to me to think about it I was 26 he was he was 28 um just like we, we were we were kids we were still kids um but there were so many things that I wanted to do right there was like I wanted to like move to the East Coast. We were from California. Mm. And I wanted to pursue a career in, in theater and I wanted to go to grad school. Mm. I wanted to travel. I wanted to do all these things. I just felt like having kids would, um, you know, would, would it's not, I, I don't want to say tie me down, but certainly, mm. you know, it would be a little more difficult to do all of mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. 
I guess I just needed to just feel like I was ready. And I didn't feel like I was ready until my early 30s. Like around 33 is when I had, we had the talk, you know, of like, maybe we should, you know, I felt like we were in a really great place as a couple. And that to me felt like this was, this is great. Now I feel like, I feel like I want to have this child with you. Mm. Um, and then we, we started in earnest when I was 35 and I, and I didn't think it was going to take us this long, but it right. took us five years. Yeah. It's funny. Mm. I just reconnected with a woman who, uh, one of my first gigs, I just moved to New York. I was singing with a band and we did this tour to DC. <laughs> we drove down to DC. <laughs> but anyway, we stayed at this woman's house who just uh, was a jazz fan and kind of was a friend of the organization that presented us. One of these mornings we were having breakfast, she said, you know, have you thought about having kids? Because I was, I was so like, I guess she could see like, I'm going to take over the world and <laughs> I'm going to mm. travel to this place and do research in this place. And she's like, have you thought, you know, have you thought about having kids? And and I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't think I'm going to, you know, I'm just not in that place. And anyway, I have to go here and here and here. She's like, well, you know that when a woman hits 35, it kind of just goes down. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> the chances, you know, that, uh, you know, you should really think about doing something before you're 35. And anyway, I just remember that. And I always thought about that. But Meanwhile, you know, I got this Fulbright and was, I'd gotten in this, for me, creatively, really productive cycle of going to some corner of the world, researching, learning the language, and then the music and the dance, and then coming back to New York and creating an album or show, and then going back out somewhere else. So I was on the cycle. It filled me, you know, Mm -hmm. it was fulfilling, and I, I didn't feel any other need for, I mean, even my partner at the time, the 12 year relationship, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Indonesia and Korea for three years. <laughs> and like, and I saw him twice, three times in that time. <laughs> so, you know, it was just for me to get out of that thinking. I think it did take that breakup. It took my, the passing of my father. It, it took a lot of things for me to even feel you know, because I, I kept waiting for that, um, oh, you'll just feel the maternal instinct. It, I never felt that. I, I still haven't really felt that kind of overtaking of the, oh, I need to have a baby. You know, I never, I still haven't had that. So it's more, I think the partner I'm with now, I, I'm, I can envision it. And, and I guess mm-hmm. with my partner then, who was also an artist um, and nomad, <laughs> you know, I just couldn't. I, I think life is such that it it just turns out the way it does and for the for the better, you know. And at the time we broke up, I was I think we were still very much in love, which is why it was so painful, but I was like I need to take a break because you know, I need to figure this thing out, this this mother thing. I need to figure it out <laughs> and you're not really helping, you know, as part of that um equation so that is that is a really tough place to be Mm. you know when and I've certainly I've also heard the same stories of people breaking up even though they love each other but because they both have different goals Mm. in life and children don't necessarily fit into this goal so yeah you never know but you know, the tough thing is like, there is a finite amount of time. And that's like the thing that Mm -hmm. kills me too, is that, you know, we as species have evolved into like living longer, right? Mm -hmm. But women have not yet evolved to also, you know, be able to reproduce at a later time. And we are, there certainly are cases where, you know, that happens naturally for people at a later time, but still, it's still difficult. It's, that's why these clinics have grown so much in numbers because yep. women are waiting 
because yeah. of their careers, their ambitions, and mm-hmm. and need help. <laughs> you know, need help with this. Uh, need science. And I know we were talking about just the emotional, the roller coaster. Roller coaster. And it literally is. Like, I remember someone had told that, had said, oh, it's, it's just a roller coaster. I'm like... I don't know if, like, I feel pretty steady. Like, and that was after one cycle. And then that was, like, July of 2019. I'm like, that was one time. I did it. I made a show. It was great. Like, I made a show about it. I can handle it. I, I can process it. And then the next, this year, the pandemic year was February. Change clinics to Violet Cornell. And then change doctors. And then it's like, May, take out the fibroids. June, cycle number one that failed. July cycle number four that failed and and you're just like oh my god I'm in this I'm on it like it's so intense and I I I kept feeling like there was a new information that got sprung upon me like the HSG you know they'd mentioned it like oh you should get your fallopian tubes checked but then I went to this new doctor he's like well we're just doing IVF so if you want to get these cycles in now you know let's just do that because we don't need the tubes right now if you just want to freeze embryos then we can just go right ahead and so um we did that and then the HSG was just hanging out to be done after the second IVF didn't yield uh, a healthy embryo and I'm like well why don't I guess I'll just do this now. And anyway, it's just an endless. And then they found out my left tube was blocked. They found a little polyp. And then he, you know, his doctor's so attentive. But he's like, well, I just don't think that polyp at the entrance of the tube, it's, it's too small to really be blocking it. So the only other reasons are either a blood clot or a muscle spasm. So he's like, so I think you'll you know, you might want to get this done in another month or two, you know, and and I'd heard that HSG was super painful, right? Mm. Could you explain what HSG is for people who don't know? Yes. So it is, um, it's a process of flooding your uterus and your tubes with a dye, basically. And from in my case, it was a clear dye. I'm looking at the, the long name of HSG, hysterosalpingography. Yeah. So it's an x-ray test and, and you can see it right there. You're laying on the, on the, the table. It's kind of beautiful actually. It is. Cause Isn't it, it flows. It looks yeah. like, it looks like an ink block actually. And it gives you like a, a beautiful picture of what your, your reproductive system looks like. I remember like looking at it and being like, this is gorgeous. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's instant too. And you can see yeah. it. But for me, it was like the triangle and then one tube nice and full. That was my right side and the left was just like nothing <laughs> oh, wow. it didn't even get didn't even get to the tube it was just oh. because of some blockage and we he'd still we still don't know exactly what but there was a polyp 0.4 millimeters and but he's like that's just too small to be causing mm. a blockage so something else happened so he's like so you'll have to take it again if you really want to find out and you know this time take valium Valium will ensure that your body doesn't just react and like cause a block. You're like, well, why didn't they tell me to take Valium before? <laughs> you know, it's like, man, I didn't know uh, about this muscle spasm thing, and I did that either. can mm. clench your fallopian tubes. Yeah, basically, it can cause something that would create a blockage that would not let that dye go through smoothly. And you know, even though I was very lucky, it was not nearly as painful as I thought it would be. And I can definitely recommend this place, East River Imaging. They did a great job. Uh, They managed to get my insurance to cover it. It was just, it went smoothly. So I'm actually, I don't mind doing it again. And because I would really like to get to the bottom of, um, or I'd like to get to the end of my left (laughs) fallopian tube. Um, But that's if, but that's if you're you're considering, you know, going naturally or even doing artificial insemination. But like, like the doctor said, you know, if you go to IVF, your fallopian tubes aren't technically necessary. Exactly. Yeah. We did an ultrasound. He's like, I recommend you come in and let's, let's at least see which side your egg is growing. And luckily it was on my right side. He's like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's great. And it looks the right size. Let's come in again on Sunday and we'll do another uh, ultrasound. And if it's ready, then we'll get the trigger shot in there. So that's kind of how it all happened. It was HSG and then, you know, this trigger shot. Um, And, oh, they say that HSG should help 
with the natural because it cleans because sort of flushes out. yeah flushes out any didn't flush out the blockage that I had for myself but they have said uh, even RMA had told me like HSG you know try to if you want to try naturally get that HSG first mm-hmm. and that should help but, yeah but going back to the whole month to month roller coaster it's real because it goes through your monthly cycle and that's what takes so long is that you get one shot one month and yeah, you just kind of like, you, you kind of soldier on, right? You just kind of like, okay, well, this month didn't work. It's like, okay. And then by the time, and then you stop and you think it's like, I've been doing this for like a year now. And you look back and like, it's, that's 12 times. You, 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 you go in, you have hopes and then, you know, and you, and you're, and there's that waiting period, right? Where you're at currently. And there's that waiting period where it's like, you don't want to like go too high and you don't want to like be totally negative because you, when you get that disappointment, you don't want to crash, like, but then you also want to allow yourself to crash and grieve and then come out of this grief, right? And then go back to hoping. So it's like going through, you know, grief every single month, the, the five cycle, the five steps of grief every single month. And, you know, for a long time, for the first three years that we were trying, and it was all like, you know, natural or uh, artificial insemination in the first three years, you know, we weren't very public about it, you know, because it's like, we were just, we figured it would happen, right? And it's like, we don't need to be telling people that we're trying. Um, And um, so we were like, still very like, you know, positive about the Mm. whole thing. Hmm. But then it got to a point where we were like, this is maybe a problem. Hmm. After on year three? You three would say? years. Yeah. After three years, after five artificial inseminations that didn't work, after I had a surger- surgery to hopefully get some endometriosis that I had, but it was a very mild case. But I remember it was uh, April 2018, right around my birthday, the week of my birthday. Um, happens to be fertility awareness week and and uh my my husband showed me someone's post you know his yoga teacher showed me her post of um you know talking about fertility awareness week and Mm. i i couldn't get through it you know because it was Mm. you know it's those things it's like you you feel seen right Mm. and you feel too seen it Mm. almost feels like Mm. it feels very vulnerable like I felt very naked reading it and I couldn't even get through it I started crying right away and this was like sort of the first time that I really allowed myself to cry and fully grieve and um and so reading or I couldn't even read it it I think I had to revisit it the week later and then read it fully and um you know and she she pointed out a lot of like her privilege of like, you know, being pregnant after going through IVF and, and really giving a shout out to those people that were trying. Uh, and then I realized that from her post, which was so inspiring, that it's like, maybe this is what I need. Maybe I need to talk about it publicly because we hadn't really talked about it publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt there was something very isolating about it. I, was, I, I even felt isolated from my husband. I even, you know, sort of didn't really talk about how it really felt. Because everything is all on, on you, the the, the mm. woman, right? You're the one doing all the tests. You're the one who's going to be carrying the child. You're the one who's getting blood tests and poked and prodded and everything. And, you know, and the partner is there for support, but he, he doesn't, he's not there. He's not there at every single appointment that you're going to. And so he felt very, also very, iso- he, he also felt very isolated from what I was feeling, and so we decided to go public and, you know, I wrote this, this post and went on Facebook and, and it was, uh, it was on Mother's Day that month later from that fertility awareness week. Uh, and I chose Mother's Day because, you know, I felt very conflicted about Mother's Day as a mm. person trying to be a mother. And this is like an idea that had, has slowly sort of taken off, like of, of saying happy Mother's Day to not just mothers, biological mothers, but so many other people that like deserve that title Mm -hmm. or should have that title and and have motherly duties trying to be mothers mothers to be um you know so that idea of honoring all of these people um 
you know, and, and, and including myself in this too, that it's mm. like, and it, it felt very cathartic and therapeutic to do that and to receive the support and to receive also personal messages from the post of those that were also going through the same thing, but didn't want to be public about it. And so mm. I realized that it's like, you know, I could maybe be that voice for those people that really do not want to talk about it. And I'm thankful for this podcast for, you know, putting it out there because, you know, I think normalizing this process like removes that stigma of like women suffering endlessly in silence. Exactly. Which I'm happens done with that. so much. <laughs> I'm so done with on that. On so many levels, you know, not yeah. just not just IVF and and but just there's so many things that that women are forced to sort of bear uh, quietly. And having gone through this process, you know, it, it also made me realize that it's like, actually, you know, women are very powerful beings because we're able to take so much physically, right? Because we can like go month to month and do this over and up and down and just like keep soldiering on. And some of us do it silently. And some people choose to go silent and that's totally fine. That is how, that's your process that uh, it helped me to talk about it. You know, and since then I've had a lot of people reach out to me and, uh, uh, or people that know me, know somebody else. And they're like, are you willing to talk to this person? They have questions and whatnot. And I'm like, totally happy to. There's so many of my friends and people I've never even met who are like, I'm willing to get on the phone with you and answer any questions you have. And I've done that like mm -hmm. on Skype. There was yeah. a woman in Israel who is kind oh, of wow. in our music circle. And I was in Japan. Oh my God. And she saw my post and, and we talked and she, her amazing story, she got pregnant naturally at 42 and 44. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, I need you, you know, <laughs> I needed this conversation. But so many, you know, have just, just kind of just, poured their whole story and will answer all my questions of like how many eggs and how many took and how many <laughs> like how many embryos and um but just that generosity I mean definitely when I posted and I kind of led up my posts I think I um I shared with you my first like Facebook note that I kind of mentioned this silence that somehow we're forced you know, in the music industry, it's very, uh, it's pretty bad, you know, like the stigma, um, you know, like, oh, she's a mom. Oh, she can't hang out because she has to go to her, you know, go home to her kids or, you know, and so a lot of when I was teaching at Banff at this wonderful uh, international jazz and creative music workshop, I started thinking about it when these younger women, my students were asking me and like, you know, at the the last part, I think the last night, it was the after party, after a big concert, and we're gathered around the fire, and they're like, tell us, like, how do we pursue our dreams and and have a relationship or have a family? Like, how are we going to do this? I'm like, I really wish I could tell you, like, what it's like to have kids. Like, I'm trying also, I'm figuring it out too, and I just wish I could, you know, I wrote this post, like, for anyone willing to share resources for us, my students, any advice, you know, you have for you know, being an artist and, you know, uh, raising the family. And, and that's kind of when it started a lot of amazing feedback from men and women, from, from artist dads, you know. And then when I, I think when I, my first IVF post, actually, no, I did my show. That was my first, like, public <laughs> when I talked about egg freezing and, and that whole process, that was like, I'm going to, you know, have that as a part of my show. Cause that's reality. And that's where I'm at right now. And, you know, it's something that's always been in the background, like the things we hide because we want to put on a, a good face and a strong face as a professional, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm like, you know, I, I want to, I really want to put that backstory on the stage, you know, <laughs> And, um, you know, and have that, that first scene be the conversation I had with the first fertility doctor that I visited, which was ridiculous. Um, he walks in and, and he's got a lunch bag. He sits down at the desk. He's like, oh, you, I haven't had lunch. You don't mind if I eat this, do you? you know? <laughs> I'm like, sure. And he was, he was Taiwanese. He's like, my people. 
but yeah, he, he was very New York. He's like, he's like, yeah. So, and he was just so gruff and so, um, <laughs> to me, insensitive. <laughs> um, but in a way, he kind of shook me up in terms of, you know, so where, where's your partner? Why isn't he here with you? It, it kind of made me think about the relationship that I was in and that maybe that was part of this um, angst. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, but that, that was like, oh, this is very public. And, um, but then like having the response from, I'm, I, I guess I'm thinking mainly of these young, my young colleagues, my young mm-hmm. women friends, and their reaction is like, thank you for clearing out that space so that we can actually think about family and pursue our music. And we don't have to f- feel as conflicted, you know, because mm-hmm. we see someone who's going through it and <laughs> is vocal about it. So that I'm always thinking of them, usually, when, I'm, when mm-hmm. I'm talking about it publicly. And my mom is like, that's private. I'm like, Mom, <laughs> you know, it's different times now. Like, people need us to talk about it because... But that's the problem. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Exactly. It's that's the problem. It's you know that it's like yes, it is private, but it's like if we don't talk about it, it's like it doesn't exist. Yeah. To Mm. others. Exactly. For me to have seen that post from you know my husband's yoga teacher was like an affirmation. This exists. It has a name. There's at least one other person that's yep. going through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then based on the comments, there's other people that are going through it. So it's like it makes you feel like you're not so alone. And I and and I found really interesting going to these fertility clinics. Mm. And I went to three different fertility clinics in my time. Mm-hmm. It was always interesting to me sitting in a waiting room and seeing all of the people that were there. Like in yes. a very non-judgmental way, just being like wow, there's so many people from different walks of life, mm-hmm. different religions, different creeds, different races, different ages, different orientations that are there for various different reasons. You know, Vile Cornell provides, um, they actually have a group meetings that are free for women who are going through. Yeah, it's like every Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday, something like that. And she, my friend who has gone to those group meetings, she said it's amazing because these are people you don't know, uh, but you you have this connection, and she's become friends with actually a couple of them, and yeah, that I think it's really important because it takes it takes your mind off of your own problems in a way, and mm-hmm. just it just opens your heart to like you know we're all going through this, and we just happen to be going through this at the same time and in different parts of our journey. So, you know, the IVF fertility journey is very, of course, uncertain. And it can really like drag out because again, it's like a month to month thing. And because it's so connected to like your emotions. And I definitely remember at one point being in that mindset where I just had to take a break. And we did, we took, we took a break, you know, after, after the first round of uh, artificial inseminations, the three rounds that failed. And then we got our insurance letter that basically denied us. And I got the, I have the letter here in front of me um that said and this sentence kind of stuck stuck out said there's no medical evidence that continuing this treatment will improve your chances of becoming pregnant Mm, horrifying it's like so brutal and i remember (laughs) being so completely devastated after that um you know the doctor had requested another round of iui and thought that this would be the the thing but the medical insurance thought better of it and we're like no we're not going to cover it so, and they didn't cover IVF at the time. So, um, you know, we took a, a, a break, you know, from it also because we had to and we couldn't just pay out of pocket. And, hmm. But it definitely helps to to sometimes just take a step back. Yeah. Right. From from all of it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you just need that mentally. Yeah. And, and it's like it's that, you know, to give you space to grieve. Yeah. Right. You have to like stay optimistic, but you also have to allow yourself to definitely time to grieve and to bring it back to the human aspect of it, because it is a very it feels not human sometimes Mm. when you're doing all of these tests in order to get this tiny human. Right. (laughs) Um, And it's funny that first that funny fertility doctor, 
Um, what he did by the end of the conversation, what I did realize was it wasn't even my partner. It was like, I, I didn't even have room. He's like, well, when, when can you come in next time? So we have two weeks for you to do this. Like you just need mm. two weeks in New York mm-hmm. so we can do this at the time of your period. Mm-hmm. And I looked through my calendar, it was April and I literally didn't have time until January. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, January, that's a student, but that's a really crazy month. Cause that's APAP and that's like winter mm-hmm. jazz fest. Mm-hmm. And, it was this realization, like, I'm not even putting the time from, mm. I'm not even making that space. So that was, yeah. It's, it's totally true. Cause I, I, it reminds me of my first IVF that didn't take. And, um, that first transfer, I scheduled it. And I think the problem was that I scheduled it the way that you would like a dental checkup, yeah. like in the middle of everything. Right. And right. I remember, and the thing is, like, it goes it goes through your natural cycle. So things can't really be scheduled ahead of time. They can give you a ballpark idea of when the transfer would be based on, like, you know, your tests and how your uterine lining is going, et cetera, and how everything is growing. They can give you a ballpark, but then it fell on a day that I had a lot going on. I had, like, fittings and had a design to run through and I had a production meeting that day. And it was right smack dab in the middle. You know, I did two fittings. I went and did my transfer. And then I went on and went on my God. day. And so I basically didn't really set myself up for success. I don't want to really say like it was like my fault that it failed, you know, because there's a lot of shame and guilt to that. But I also didn't exactly set myself up for success. Mm -hmm. And so I decided the very next time that we would do it the next month that I would still a crazy month, but that I would take the entire day off, did the transfer, went home, I laid down on the bed. I still answered emails when I was laying in bed. But at least I was doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what that's what people's like anecdotal advice is about relaxing. It's like you actually do absolutely nothing. But that's the thing about IVF and infertility treatments is that it, it really does take a lot of time. Mm. And that you have to make space for it. I guess my last question is, what is the one thing you want people to take away from this conversation? I guess the sense that you're not alone because it can feel that way. Whatever problem is, is very individual and all the treatments are very individualized. But in the emotions and what you're going through, there are so many people that are going through the same thing. And the, uh, the affirmation, I think, is, is important. It's funny, because when my dad passed, a really beautiful words that a friend of mine just said, you know, her dad had passed maybe a few months before mine. And she said, be gentle on yourself. You know, just be gentle on yourself. And, and I feel that that helps because that was, we talked about grief, you know, I feel like that every time we got the call, like, you know, we're sorry, your embryo is abnormal and not recommended for transfer. You know, it's like, ah, and cry. And, um, and it's so easy to really beat yourself up. Like, what did I do wrong this time? Mm -hmm. And, and then another friend of mine said, you know, everyone has their, finds their own way. Mm-hmm. And, and it will, it will be okay, you know? <laughs> um, so it's just being gentle with yourself and patient and, mm-hmm. and knowing it's, it's not, you know, it's not really in your control. And oh, and also like, I wish I had looked up the word follicle before I was 39, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, I, I didn't know either. <laughs> I, I, I was in the same boat as you. Same boat. I didn't know what follicle was. I thought follicle was the root of their hair. Yeah. I thought it was this like sweat. hairy thing. Like yeah. Str- <laughs> no, I, I, I really thought that too. But follicle in terms of fertility process is your actual egg. There's a lot you learn. There's so much that so you learn much. of your own body and your own functions. It's kind of amazing. Oh, Jen, Valerie, thank you so much. I know that this is going to be helpful. And I have to say, from watching both of you on social media, I have felt less alone, even when not Mm. trying to get pregnant at the time. But just knowing that you're out there and you're sharing is so powerful. Mm. And we appreciate you so much. And we'll be checking in with both of you because we wish you both all the luck in the world. Beautiful. Thank you so much. 
Thank you to Jen and Valerie for sharing their stories with us on the Down There. We'll be checking back in with both of them to see how their fertility journeys are progressing. You can learn more about Jen's work and hear her music at jenshu.com. That's J-E-N-S-H-Y-U dot com. Her music is stirring and rich and gorgeous. Go have a listen. You shan't regret it. Jen also has a Patreon page where she posts musical workouts, live Q&As, and tutorials. She also has some incredibly detailed videos of her self-administering her IVF medications on that Patreon page. I was both riveted and comforted by those videos. Jen is so thorough in explaining each step in a way that just puts you at ease. That's patreon.com forward slash Jen Shu. You can learn more about Valerie and her work as a costume and scenic designer for theater, dance, opera, film, and more at ValerieBart.com. That's V-A-L-E-R-I-E-B-A-R-T.com. Her clothes are stunning. Go check her out and learn more about these incredibly talented women. Valerie is supporting a fantastic nonprofit organization here in New York City called Birth from the Earth and is inviting us to join her. I'm going to quote Valerie here because she explains the importance of this organization and those like it so well. The statistics tell the horrible sad truth. Pregnant black women are worse off getting adequate health care for themselves and their unborn babies, and many cases end up in deaths that could have been prevented if the system wasn't so rigged against them with unconscious and conscious biases and institutional racism. Nubia Martin, the founder of Birth from the Earth, has been doing the work of birthing justice, providing black women with the care, attention, and advocacy for home births in the Bronx. Birth from the Earth has a scholarship to help those that cannot afford services and are in the works of opening a birthing center to serve their community planned for spring of 2021. You can learn more at birthfromtheearth.vpweb.com. Follow them on Instagram at birthingplacebx, all lowercase. Links to these and everything else we've mentioned are in the show notes, as well as ways to donate directly to their scholarship fund. I'm giving $50 right now. Please join us. For a transcript of this episode, actionable resources on voting in the coming election, or to send us an email, visit our website, thedowntherepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thedowntherepodcast, where we post fun facts, info about our guests, and much more. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us on iTunes, write us a review. We love and are grateful for your kind words and all of your stars. And please... Keep telling your friends, your family, your lovers, and that cutie you met at the grocery store from six feet away. The Down There is produced by myself, Caitlin smith Rappaport, and Molly Hanagazen, with logo art by Gene Kim Studio, music, sound design, and editing by Kate Marvin. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time on The Down There.